Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the History Hour here on KZMU. I'm your host and guide, Blaine. And today I am super excited uh, to be diving into a subject that I have been really wanting to dive into for years now. Um, and that is the subject of Posey, the last indigenous war that happened right here in our region. Uh, it lasted until 1923. Um, and so I'm going to be talking about sort of what happened to these indigenous tribes, the Utes and the Paiutes, right here in Utah, from around uh, settlement all the way up until the last of the Posey Wars in 1923. So stay tuned and we will get this going. So what happened to the indigenous peoples of southeast Utah? Specifically, Moab, Monticello, Blanding, and Bluff. That's going to be uh, sort of the uh, basis of uh, the research that I have conducted on. Uh, we learned a few episodes ago that the clan of the Utes in the region, uh, they were the Shebarek Utes, uh, and their stand against the Mormons at the Elk Mountain Mission in 1855 right here in the Moab Valley. Uh, so what happened to them and their neighboring tribe, the Paiutes, who dominated our region and called it home? Uh, according to journal entries of, from the men of the, of the Elk Mountain Mission in 1855, they described hundreds and hundreds of indigenous people, quote, coming from all directions to trade. And by that time uh, that Will and Graham staff gets here in 1876, it seems um, that uh, the numbers of indigenous people are much, much lower, even in 1880, when uh, there are several families already living here in the Moab Valley, Monticello, Blanding, and Bluff. So the Black Hawk War that started in 1865 truly sparked a massive revolution amongst the indigenous people of Utah. And according to Utah.gov, the Black Hawk War was the longest, most destructive conflict between pioneer immigrants and Native Americans in the present state of Utah, lasting until 1872. Their leader was a warrior named Atanga, who uh, who was named Black Hawk by Brigham Young in reference to Black Hawk of 1832 wars. It was to say that he was sort of starting trouble. However, Chief Atonga wore this name proudly, and he went by the name Black Hawk for the rest of his days. So he led a force of Utes, Paiutes, and Navajo against the Mormon settlements in Utah, which is quite interesting to see this because as far as we know, according to history, uh, these tribes did have that history of warring against each other. And now we see them in a combined force effort together against the Mormon settlers. On Sunday, April 9th, 1865, a small amount of Mormon leaders in northern Utes, they met in central Utah in a town of Manti, and they accepted uh, this um, sort of a peace treaty between the two. And uh, it was rather more of an attempt, really, uh, because... Um, uh, but the events that followed uh, that have been viewed from the start of the Black Hawk War. Literally the same day that on the other side of the country, Ulysses S. Grant and Robert E. Lee met in the parlor of McLean's Brick Home in Appomattox, Virginia. So in all reality, the Civil War back east was coming to an end and a new war was beginning right here in Utah. Although the Black Hawk War ended in 1872, the fight carried on within Utes and Paiutes, forming scattered bands of warriors that would carry on the fight until 1923 with the death of Chief Posey. 
A year after the Bear River Massacre of 1863, where 531 Shoshone were killed by U.S. military, an act of Congress in 1864 required that the Utes to give up all land and title rights and to move to the Uinta Reservation within a year. That winter, smallpox, smallpox was delivered to the Utes and killed um, many of them, including their chief, Arapine. July 18, 1865, was the Grass Valley Massacre. The Ute uh, Tipanagos chief was beheaded, and the U.S. military opened fire on the tribe, killing all men, women, and children. War broke out the next several years as the Utes, Paiutes, and Navajo were retaliating for broken treaties and promises, massacres, and other acts against their people. On September 26, 1870, Chief Blackhawk dies of tuberculosis, but the skirmishes continued for two more years. And I would like to make a side note real quick. Um, the research that I've conducted uh, basically comes uh, from uh, a lot of uh, internet searches, books, and a lot of these uh, resources that I gain information from are from uh, the viewpoint of settlers, and some of them are from the viewpoint of indigenous people uh, that had survived uh, much longer and were able to get information from them uh, in their later years in life. After 1872, with a dwindle in numbers of Utes, Mormons were able to expand settlements and, and immigrants flooded the valleys. And ranchers were free to take up land far away from towns without any fear of being attacked from indigenous tribes. And we see around 1800, many families had came from the east and settled in the region of southeast Utah and Bluff to Moab. Dimmick Huntington was an interpreter uh, for uh, territorial government, and he estimated that there were over 23,000 indigenous peoples in Utah in 1865. But by the end of the Black Hawk War in 1872, there were less than 10,000 that had remained. Many of the Utes and Paiutes in our region here in Moab uh, joined the forces under Black Hawk, and they died in different battles and skirmishes and disease. So many who were left avoided reservations because of the remoteness of our region and the lack of settlements through the 1870s kept the eyes of the government off them for a time. Although it seemed quiet after the Black Hawk War was over in 1872, there loomed future battles to come. Two years before the Black Hawk War started, a future Paiute chief was born on Navajo Mountain. His name was Mapau, later to be called Chief Posey. In 1879, nothing was really known about the San Juan County area. It was one of the last regions to be explored and attempted uh, to settle west of the Rocky Mountains. And most Utes were living on reservations in the Uintas and the San Juan Mountains. And then those that I had just mentioned that were living outside the reservation in present-day Grand and San Juan counties. On September 29, 1879, the Meeker Massacre was one of the first major Ute campaigns to occur in several years. Members of the Utes in southwest Colorado attacked their Indian agency on the reservation. They killed Nathan Meeker. He, um, and he was the leading agent, and they also killed 10 of his male employees. Uh, they did take five women and children as hostages. Meeker was trying to convert these Utes to Christianity and to live uh, as the Anglo man does and farm and leave their traditional ways behind them. This caused unsettling amongst the White River and the Uncompa uh, Ute clans uh, that were on the reservation there. Before the incident, threats had been made against Meeker, 
So the U.S. Army forces were launched from Fort Steele in Wyoming. The same day of the massacre against Meeker and his men, the military was already en route to the reservation. They met the U.S. Army forces and battle broke out in Milk Creek, 18 miles north of Meeker, Colorado. They killed Major Thomas Thornburr and 13 of his troops. After relief troops were called in, the Utes dispersed and fled. Eventually, the White River Utes had to relocate to the Uintah Reservation, while the remaining Uncompar Utes were granted a small parcel of land bordering New Mexico. This opened up a lot of land for mining, farming, and settlements in the San Juan Mountains of southern Colorado, ultimately opening the door for some settlers to make their way into the east part of Utah, mainly our area. (laughs) Naturally, when something like this occurs, uh, word's going to spread. Stories are told, and that sparks a fire in certain individuals to stand up and follow suit and do the same. Some of the Utes who participated in the Meeker Massacre, they took up residence in the LaSalle Mountains near Moab, Utah. In May of 1880, some of the first residents of Moab, Joseph Burkherder, Malloy, and Isidore Wilson, they went to go camp up in the LaSalle Mountains at a place that is now called Gardner Place. And the second day, while they were away from camp hunting range horses, uh, the Utes noticed them, and they sent a young man to wait for their return. When they discovered this young man sitting patiently in their camp, the boy told them of, of his clan, that they were living on Bald Mesa up there, and he described them as heap mad. The Moabites proceeded to visit the Utes on Bald Mesa and met them and had a time of peace and promised to return to the Moab Valley the following day. The Ute clan left the LaSalle Mountains and returned to Colorado, where they got in trouble after trouble, and according to uh, researchers, they were eager for a fight. Exactly exactly a year after they met the Moabites, on May 1st, 1881, they pulled into into spring later that would be called Burnt, Burnt Cabin Spring. There they killed several people, including Dick May and John Thurman. Billy May was there, and he managed to escape and took word to gather forces. Around 60 men were gathered, including Captain W.H. Dawson, who took the charge and made Billy May his second in command. They split up. May took half the men and went to the LaSalle's to cut them off, and Dawson took the other half to follow the Utes' uh, stolen horse tracks towards Monticello. On their way to Monticello, they found a man, Mr. Dave Willis, who was shot by the Utes. Uh, So they buried the man, and they continued onward, still following the tracks of those stolen horses. The band of Utes uh, that were stealing the horses and wreaking havoc on the settlers north of Bluff and into Monticello. They shot a man to steal his horse north of Blush, and the man rode into town and returned the next day with five men. The Utes came rushing down into the valley to kill the five men, uh, when a commanding voice hollered and yelled to them to stop because the Mormons were their friends. Probably a local Ute that was living there that was friends with the Mormons uh, that were around him. The band stopped immediately, and they ceased their attack, and they returned uh, to their horses and um, they just sort of left those, uh, those five guys alone. Then they added some local warriors, Polk, Mancos Jim, and Posey, to their numbers, and stole some goats and horses uh, from Spud Hudson um, near Monticello. So Spud, angry, gathered up five uh, men and chased a large number of Utes down to Indian Creek and out, to, and out the dry valley towards the LaSalle Mountains. The posse met and joined Dawson and his men. 
Dawson and his men cut across the Lisbon Valley, and they made their way towards the head of Pack Creek. But Billy May and his men, they were sort of on the sort of on the backside of the mountain on the Colorado side, so they were a solid day uh, behind. Dawson and his men caught up to the fleeing Ute warriors at Squaw Springs, and they killed one of the natives. Uh, they continued to run and be chased through the thick trees of the LaSalles. They found that they could drop back for the night under Boren Mesa, where they left most of their stolen goats, and they proceeded through the Mason Draw and down to the Pinhook Draw at the base of the LaSalle Mountains right there in Castle Valley. The battle officially took place here. Many Utes were making their way from Bald Mesa to the battlefield, and nine squaws and 1,800 horses were captured by, by some of Dawson's men. Dawson was quick to drop into Pinhook and set up battlefield in his own fashion. With 150 yards of open area, uh, he sent 15 men out and the Utes opened fired and some dropped back and some jumped into a wash to be fired upon like fish in a barrel. A big crossfire and just uh, killing all but one man miraculously uh, from that advancing line. Uh, That man was later found uh, by the Moab reinforcements the next day. The battle took over a day to end and it became total chaos. Uh, It literally became one of those battles that was every man for themselves. Uh, No order or battle formations uh, they tried to start off with, but then it just just all just (laughs) turned south from there and became chaos. So the Wilson boys of Moab, they were out tending cattle, and they heard the battle, and they went to see what was going on. Um, And according uh, to research, these two boys, they were just riddled with bullets, and they were shot down, and they were found the next day. Out of the 40 white men, 10 were killed, and around 22 Utes were killed during the Pinhook battle. Uh, we are unsure of the exact number of Utes uh, that were involved in this battle. Four companies from the 9th U.S. Cavalry came in and found and escorted the remaining Utes back to the reservation in southern Colorado on the, new, on the border of New Mexico. Uh, no punishments happened to the Utes since they couldn't be properly identified. Only three men, Polk, Mancos Jim, and Posey, uh, made it known that they were in the battle. Posey, being one of the newer additions to the band of warriors before the fight, didn't really know any of the other Utes or Paiutes in the battle, uh, but he did help a young girl named Tora, who was Polk's sister, up a rocky slope to protect her uh, that day during the battle. It was there that Posey fell in love with Tora. Posey was a Paiute, and Polk and Tora, they were Ute. So there was some disfavor between these two tribes, uh, more or less tolerating each other for their common cause. After the battle at Pinnock was over, they were making their way back towards their homes in southeast Utah, um, outside of the reservation. Polk noticed his sister Tora and the way that she looked at the Paiute Posey. He was very angry and he snatched her up and he told her to stay away from him. Posey went back to his camp on Blue Mountain, and but he could not forget Tora. It ate away at his heart, and he went looking for her, knowing that he may be killed by Polk for violating his wishes. He came upon some teepees and heard voices inside, and he did recognize Polk and others arguing over a game that they were playing, so he knew Tora had to be close by. So he tied up his horses, and he scouted out on foot, and nearby he found another teepee and some wives that were guarding it off in the distance. So he quickly ran past them, opened up the doors of the teepee. He found Tora tied up, and he cut her ties, and they both fled into the nearby mountains. 
And after some time, they began to feel a little comfortable with not being found by Polk. And so life got, became a little easier uh, because, po because um, Posey, uh, he knew what would happen if they were caught. Eventually, after a few weeks, they did run into Polk on the trail, and he uh, was uh, he had more pressing matters than to worry about his sister. Um, he was, uh, you know, uh, being accused of killing one of those guys in that fight. Um, so, um, you know, uh, he basically said, you know what, whatever, just give me ten horses, <laughs> and uh, he let the two uh, be together. So Posey and Tora, they married and they lived on Blue Mountain uh, and they wintered on the San Juan River, living in peace and riding around openly and freely. They had two boys, Jesse and Anson. One day, Posey had some Ute friends over and he was showing off his new gun, which he always kept unloaded while at their camp. Apparently, one of the men that he was showing it to loaded a bullet in it to see if it would fit. And because it did, he decided to leave it there for Posey and he left it in the chamber. Posey really didn't take notice of that, and uh, the men left later on that day. The following day, Posey told Tora to bring, uh, to bring the horses in, and she always refused and turned it into a little game with him. And uh, they were like, you know, they love to play games, and they love to play fight, as young couples in love like to do. Well, that particular day, during the play fight, the game... Um, uh, Posey grabbed his gun. He was pretending to shoot her. And obviously that was taking a little too far. Uh, not knowing about the bullet that was in the chamber, the gun discharged and he accidentally shot Tora in the stomach. Uh, Posey, uh, in a panic ran, uh, and fetched uh, a Mormon woman named Miss Jody Wood. Uh, and she, uh, she came back with him and she gave him the news that there was nothing that they could do. And three days later, Tora passed away in his arms. The day after her death, he took her body high up on a ridge and he built a huge funeral pyre and he burned her body um, and he killed her pony. That way she could ride it in the afterlife to, quote, hunty ha happy hunting grounds. Uh, Posey was so distraught that he kind of went in exile for a time. Posey, afraid of what Polk would do uh, to him for accidentally killing his sister, kept a distance for a while. Polk even made a remark that Posey should be forced to marry his older, uglier sister who made camp life miserable. Eventually, the two were seen together as normal. Over the years, Polk, Mancos, Jim, and Posey became leading men within their tribes, uh, gaining warriors and followers. I find it very interesting, and I should note, that these Utes and Paiutes uh, are just out here living freely amongst uh, settlers and Mormons, uh, coexisting for the most part, um, not really understanding each other, uh, but nonetheless, they were coexisting. Um, even the Navajo or the Diné, they would cross the San Juan River to trade with settlers, um, and uh, the settlers uh, feared the Navajo the most. Uh, but majority of Utes and Paiutes uh, were on the reservations and the Uintas and that small number that was on the reservation uh, right there at the New Mexico-Colorado border. One fear factor I found in my research was that Mormons, uh, they would tell the Utes and the Paiutes that if they harmed them, that they would die. Uh, so uh, that kept a lot of the indigenous people um, from, um, I guess, uh, causing uh, what they would, what the Mormons would see as trouble. But with differences and such, more battles loomed on the horizon. Uh, the next one we see is the Battle of Soldiers Crossing. Uh, this was on July 2nd, 1884. 
Now, the Carlisle, Kansas, and New Mexico land and cattle companies would come in for their spring roundup. Uh, there was only three chuck wagons, 21 men, and 100 head of horses. It was a common thing for cowboys to have indigenous people wander up and have a meal uh, at the end of the day and maybe trade and maybe chat for a while. And um, on this particular evening, uh, several men from Polk's group and Mancos Jim's group joined uh, these 21 men for dinner. After dinner, about four of the cowboys rode with the natives to check out their camps, and Fred Taylor saw a horse that had gone missing from his boss a year before. So he reached for a rope and headed towards the horse, you know, to get it back. Well, at that exact moment, a warrior ran towards him with a knife drawn, and another cowboy shot the warrior, and he killed him. Uh, The cowboys fled the camp and were chased by the native warriors, and battle broke out. they ended up back at the cowboy camp and uh, they surround the camp and killed several horses, wounding several cowboys as they fled towards Colorado for their lives. The warriors needed to get out the excuse me. I'm sorry. The warriors needed to get out of there uh, before the return posse came for them. So they went to Posey and his Paiutes to guide them to the Navajo reservation to hide out and to escape. Now, this was a posse that was coming back for them, made up of 80 soldiers and 40 cowboys from Fort Lewis in Colorado. Uh, They made their way to the first battle site, and they followed the horse tracks and found the fleeing men, along with Posey and Old Mancos Jim and their warriors. Now, the Utes set signal fires to lure the posse, which, looking at that, you know, there had to be a reason why they wanted uh, you to come to them. (laughs) Uh, Even though they were about 10 miles away, uh, the posse tried uh, to get them through the night, and they ended up in White Canyon, very unfamiliar territory. The posse was trapped in that in that canyon and surrounded by Ute and Paiute warriors who were shooting down and over at them, uh, wounding one, killing another. Mancos Jim stands up and he hollers and he mocks down at them, Oh my God, boys, come help me. And uh, and majority of the posse was in this narrow crack in the canyon. Uh, and they knew uh, that even if they rose a hat up on a stick, it would get a bullet hole in it. They were very tired, very, very thirsty. Uh, it was hot. They were hungry. And um, they were trapped. And Captain Perrine um, of that cavalry gave the orders to clear out before the warriors cut them off at the entrance of that canyon. They didn't know it, but only a few warriors were left above them. A majority went to go get water for themselves and their horses. Uh, So the posse retreated and several warriors were guided to the Navajo reservation by Posey. Although nothing was done about the, uh, about the remaining Utes and Paiutes, Posey and Mancos Jim and their men and their families remained. This didn't affect the relationship with settlers. Uh, cattle companies uh, moving in and occupying agreed territories and land is what truly started to change the relationship and uh, sort of lighting a fire um, in the Utes and Paiutes in southeast Utah region. I should note that Posey at this time really didn't mention the cattle companies. Um, he uh, honestly, uh, fe- people felt like he really didn't mind the cattle companies, even though there was around 10,000 or more head of cattle in the region. Canyons being blocked off, corrals being built, homes being built. It was said that Posey liked beef, so he wasn't really that concerned. Uh, one of the major issues during that time wasn't the Utes or Paiutes, it was the Navajo. Um, according to the settlers. Uh, uh, They were supposed to uh, stay on the reservation on the other side of the San Juan River. Uh, But notice uh, 
but notice the Mormons attending Sunday church services and they would leave their cattle unattended and that left opportunity for the Navajo to sneak across the river and uh, kill some cows and then they would uh, process the meat right there that way it was a lot lighter and they could carry the meat back across and this kind of went on for years and years um, and uh, according to history the Mormons never really did anything too much about this between 1885 and 1905, the towns in Southeast Utah were growing. Stores, schools, churches, houses were slowly coming up. Families would be moving in, Posey wanting to be, quote, big heap chief. Uh, and he wanted to maintain the respect of his people by keeping uh, the kettle boiling, uh, by stealing horses, demanding food from ranchers with alone wives during the day. Uh, Posey and the settlers never really understood each other, but they learned and tolerated and lived as neighbors. In 1903, Posey stole Albert Lyman's horse. Uh, this horse was a brown mare. Uh, Albert noticed it uh, when he saw Posey's son riding it and eventually called Posey out on that, to which Posey sulked openly um, about it, but he did not return the horse. Uh, the Mormon settlers never really sought prosecution for the indigenous people, um, not even the pinhook or the soldier crossing battles, um, or even for stealing horses. Uh, Posey thought them um, uh, to be probably a little weak in this area. Um, but Posey stole the mare and he sold it to the Navajo, and which later on, uh, a Navajo uh, later rode in to bluff and uh, Mr. Lyman demanded uh, his horseback and the Navajo charged Posey for it. Now this really made Posey angry. So he, so he acted out and he stole another one of Lyman's horses and he brought it into town and he openly offered it uh, to be sold. And in a fit of rage, he threatened to kill Albert Lyman. The settlers felt it was uh, finally time to do something. Their tolerance had worn thin, um, and they uh, got up with Sheriff Deputy Wood, and they sent a posse out to arrest Posey. Now, when they got to Posey's camp, his squaw came out uh, with a rifle, and one man tried to wrestle it out of her hands, and a shot went off. And this drew the attention of Posey's men, and this sort of added to the chaos. Uh, they arrested Posey, and they took him to jail and bluff. He was so he was there waiting to, uh, for the prosecution attorney from Monticello to come, and the town was full of Paiutes. They were all waiting. Um, Posey uh, asked to be taken to the San Juan River that way he could have a bath, and uh, so Jimmy Decker escorted him down there. And while Decker was on the banks uh, with Posey's clothes, Posey had waded out into the water, but he had gone a little bit too far from where Decker told him to go. Posey disappeared under the water, and he surfaced up downstream on the other side of the banks. Decker uh, then fired off several shots at Posey, um, uh, but he was well out of range of, of this small gun, and Posey ran to the willows where he had a Paiute uh, waiting uh, with horses. A posse was sent out, um, but they half-heartedly looked. Um, so Posey went to, into a bit of a hiding, uh, but he really wanted to come back into town. Uh, so he sent word asking for another chance to live peacefully with the settlers. Um, and he really missed going to the San Juan Co-op op and bluff. That was a common place that you could find Posey back in the day was at that co-op just hanging out. No word came back to Posey, so he rode into town, and nothing was ever done or ever said uh, about that previous case. Um, so they gave Posey another chance without saying a word. 
And so the information that I'm sharing with you guys um, is information that I have done uh, and within my own uh, research. And uh, this information comes from um, accounts of mostly settlers and a little indigenous peoples as well. So in the story, uh, we start to see that things begin to heat up in 1914 uh, when the Ute leader, uh, Polk's son, Zenigat, uh, uh, he murdered a sheep herder, and he was reported uh, to authorities by four other Utes. But they had, but they had waited uh, several long weeks, and they said that they were too afraid to say anything immediately, and uh, the last that they saw of Zenigat uh, was him riding away um, uh, down at the toe of the sleeping Ute mountain. Um, Senegat not only uh, murdered the sheep herder, but he also uh, decapitated him. Since the crime happened on the reservation, uh, they didn't know if this should be uh, more of a federal court thing or if the state should probably take care of this. Uh, So the county seat didn't want to handle it, so they left it up to federal agents. Senegat was living with his family um, at the mouth of Cottonwood Wash just below Bluff. Uh, so Utah officials would not move um, until there was some indictment. So for a time, they waited for him to come back to the reservation so that the way the quote-unquote Indian police could arrest him um, since there were no jurisdiction outside of the reservation. Uh, months later, Utah decided to act upon this crime. Uh, U.S. Deputy Marshal David Thomas uh, went from Salt Lake to arrest uh, Zenegat, and uh, he found him um, in and excuse me, I'm sorry. So he found him in the Hyde store and he attempted to arrest him, uh, but he refused and other whites protested as they saw in the marshal sort of backing down. Uh, the marshal returned to Salt Lake City uh, empty-handed and he said that it would be a fight to arrest the Ute Zenegat. Later, the indictment came out of Denver uh, for the arrest of Zenegat uh, for the murder and also his father, Polk, who apparently uh, made threats uh, to kill anyone and attempting to arrest his son. Uh, it was left up to U.S. Marshal Aquila ne- uh, Nebaker. Uh, so Nebaker uh, left Salt Lake City on February 1st, 1915. Uh, he rallied a posse of a bunch of his old buddies uh, from his cow punching days and men who were just known to be of super rough stock. Uh, and after spending much uh, time in Monticello, Grayson, and Cortez, uh, he knew his posse was a little too small. So he recorded, uh, excuse me, he recorded even more of his old uh, ragtag buddies to be a part of this posse. So the posse was described as a bunch of boozers, gamblers, and bootleggers, uh, just rough, tough, old outlawish-looking guys, uh, riding with a distinguished U.S. Marshal. The posse made it to Polk's camp, uh, where they, uh, where there were a lot of Utes and even Paiutes, uh, because Posey's son uh, was in the mix there as well. So they snuck in in the middle of the night, and they hid in the rim rocks and encompassed Polk's camp. No one knows who shot first, but nonetheless, battle broke out. Posey came riding in, uh, wanting in on this battle, knowing his son was in the camp. Uh, He came in with a white flag, and two posse members staged on the western side of the camp uh, figured that he was just a neutral, peaceful native. Uh, So when Posey approached, um, 
Uh, Posey jumped off his horse and he shot both posse members, killing one and gravely injuring the other. Uh, Polk and Posey and all their warriors saw this as a game and they saw this as fun and they felt that they could have picked off the posse members uh, one by one and reported and they it was reported that they even shot too high or too low uh, just to miss on purpose because they saw it as a game. Uh, the posse members uh, left their horses and they started up a wash and the Utes and Paiutes hid in the tall grasses nearby uh, as if it was sort of a game of hide and seek. Posey climbed up to a point where he could be seen, but he was out of range and he fired down into the wash that the posse was in and he started taunting them by yelling and patting his rear and doing other gestures and one posse member shot at him but missed and it sent a, a spent just a big spurt of rocks and snow at Posey and it hit him right between the legs and he ducked down for cover again. <laughs> So the snowstorm came in that night and everyone scrambled around the rocks and uh, the posse made it back to Bluff and the Utes and Paiutes, led by Posey and Polk, uh, gathered at the San Juan River. And I'm going to read you some uh, newspaper articles that are found um, in uh, a book that I got a lot of information from. This book is called Posey, The Last Indian War by Dr. Steve Lacey and Pearl Baker. And uh, there are some photos and um, inside this book. And so uh, specifically towards uh, this event that I just talked about, uh, the Salt Lake Herald Republican uh, says that the Indians uh, surrounded Marshall's posse, uh, whites taken by surprise, bluff, and grave danger. Uh, the Salt Lake Tribune says posse and Indians in battle, one, one white, two Paiutes killed. So this skirmish, this little battle is gaining headlines now. So uh, this battle was going on, and uh, things are really starting to crank up for Posey and even Polk and all the Utes and Paiutes in the region. Even little bands of non of non-combative natives were being feared, um, and uh, they were living in fear themselves, not knowing if they were going to be wiped out for just merely existing. Lorenzo Creel, he was a special agent for the Scattered Bands. Uh, for the, he, his title was Agent for Scattered Bands of Indians. Uh, he left Salt Lake City um, uh, to be down in southeast Utah where tensions were getting higher and higher by the day. Uh, citizens of the town felt that they were in danger, and it quickly began uh, to uh, be a mess. Out of fear, five young men from the peaceful tribes uh, who were involved in this battle, surprisingly, they came into Bluff to turn themselves in before they got caught, uh, and, uh, before they got caught up in any more battles. And the posse was enraged at the sight of natives uh, walking in, and uh, they were influenced by alcohol, and uh, they did some things to try to scare them. Uh, and they held them upstairs in the old general store in Bluff um, on unknown charges, uh, but uh, just guilty by association uh, at the start of it. Um, Polk's son-in-law uh, was afraid and he tried to bail and he jumped out of an upper window and uh, before he could do that he was shot by one of the posse members uh, and the rest were taken up to Salt Lake City to be held for trial. That's basically where we're at now, just being guilty by association. Um, uh, so, it's either, it's, so it's either fight or flight, stand or hide, or turn yourself in. And I'm going to read another uh, newspaper um, uh, article that is also in this book. So this one says, uh, Indian mortality wounded in attempting to escape, uh, special to the news. Uh, Hovain, who is known as Yovin, uh, one of the five Indians and a Mexican captured after the fight Sunday morning, was shot, uh, was shot and mortally wounded 
uh, last night in attempting to escape. Four shots were fired and one took effect, passing through his abdomen and perforating his intestines. He was given immediate medical care, but there was little hope of his recovery. The captives have been kept upstairs in a portion of San Juan Co-op. Uh, which stands in the heart of the town. Uh, this large brick building uh, afforded the best place for keeping the prisoners, and they have been confined uh, there under heavy guard. The Indians have been pleasant, but appeared to anticipate something. Uh, they, they are well known and bluff, every one of them having worked in this place for various people. Hovain is, large, Hovain is a large young Indian and a good worker. He has been in bluff about all his life. Last night, Hovain uh, obtained permission to go outside for a moment. When he was brought back, he exclaimed that he was sick. Slipping off his handcuffs, he made a break for the door. Instantly, four shots rang out in rapid succession. One, one took effect and Hovain fell to the floor. The Indians, fearing that they would also be cured, uh, killed, shrieked, and the citizens of the town were, were greatly excited, believing that a general attack was about to be made up out of the town. Uh, the attempt to escape is believed to have been planned during the day and hoving to receive assistance from either Old Polk or Old Posey's band, uh, which he had escaped from his guards. And as a result, the town was strongly patrolled last night. And uh, I just think it's pretty interesting to uh, read uh, those old newspaper. Uh, so, but the posse, they were determined to get every native in the, they were determined to get every native in the region. Um, and it was growing, uh, men volunteering from all over the region, joining the posse, small battles and skirmishes broke out here and there. It was, it was, it was war out there. Um, so this was the heat. All this was happening right in the heat of World War I. So General Scott of the U.S. military was reluctant uh, to deal with this matter, even though he was asked numerous times. Uh, the Secretary of War Garrison uh, was appealed uh, to, and he sent U.S. General Scott to go attend uh, to the wars in southeast Utah. Posey was craving for a chance to have a huge battle and to lure them into the San Juan Canyons, something that would be worthy uh, of, of a good story later on. However, the spot um, that's the spot that they had planned out up on the Mesa, it was just too harsh because it was winter time and conditions, and most of their uh, parties had bailed on them. And so Polk, Posey, and Zenugat, uh, they were called upon by General Scott in Mexican hat to come meet them and discuss the affairs. Uh, so they complied and they met with General Scott. The general explained to them that he hated seeing his, quote, Indian friends being chased all over the countryside and dying and going hungry. He said he wanted to help them and give them whatever they needed, sort of a branch of peace offering. He wanted Polk and Posey and their sons, uh, Tsenugat and Jesse Posey, uh, to join him in Salt Lake City. Uh, the men were treated like royalty. Now, nationwide celebrities with their names plastered on newspapers orbiting the United States. Uh, they stayed the night in Moab, uh, where they were treated very well, and then in Thompson, where, uh, where the train would take them into Salt Lake. And to quote General Scott in his account in the book, um, in, in the book uh, Posey, The Last Indian War, uh, by Dr. Steve Lacey and Pearl Baker, General Scott said, and I'm going to read that quote right now, he said, we reached Bluff on March 10th, and we learned that the Indians had gone to Navajo Mountains, 125 miles southwest of Bluff. We stayed a day in Bluff and then went on to Mexican Hat. Some friendly Navajos met me in Mexican Hat and went ahead of me uh, to tell Polk's band of my comings. Um, among, among of the Zoshi, uh, the Navajo chief uh, was 
the Navajo Chiefs was with the government that had so much trouble within a year ago and who is now our fast friend. I had sent for him to meet to meet me at Bluff, Mr. Jenkins, Indian agent at Navajo Springs, Mr. Creel, Colonel Mishi, and my order uh, accompanied me to Mexican Hat. Uh, none of us had a gun. So this is pretty much sort of him telling uh, how he was able to send out that word to get these guys eventually on the train and into uh, Salt Lake. So on this train, the men, they were served steaks for breakfast, um, and they'd never been moving such such speed, and they really enjoyed the cigars out on the deck. Uh, when the train arrived in Salt Lake, over 5,000 people were waiting to catch a glimpse of the Ute and Paiute leaders. Uh, they were shown telephones and cars and, uh, and, and, and even were taken to a movie and they were frightened because they believed that the people on the screens were ghosts moving in front of them. And it was definitely the culture shock of all culture shocks. On April 10th, Polk Posey and Jesse Posey and others were brought before the district attorney, uh, General Charles Warren. Uh, there they made uh, everyone agree uh, that, they were, that they were in lawful custody and that they were now a part of the Ute Mountain Indian Reservation. So he gave them a list in, of, of rules and orders to abide by when they got back home. Number one, go directly to the reservation immediately. Number two, stay there with your families. Number three, do not leave without permission of the agent. Number four, to aid and assist by labor and otherwise make improvements on the reservation. Number five, no, excuse me, number five, to care for stock and properly uh, and, and to be frugal, industrious and honest. Number six, to send all your children to school. Seven, uh, to desist from carrying arms and be subject to all regulations of the reservation. And number eight, uh, to submit uh, peacefully to all, uh, to uh, the proper ri uh, rights and processes of the court and generally to abide by, support and assist in the enforcement of the laws and regulations. None of these applied to Zenegat uh, because he was still under indictment for the murder of the sheep herder. Uh, the Utes and Paiutes, Posey and Polk, uh, they were sent back to Bluff, but they did not comply with any of these orders and they just took up residence uh, where they were two months prior. Uh, Posey believed himself to be immortal and even made a statement uh, that was recorded down. He said, I am like Jess Chris. Uh, the white man's bullets no kill me. Uh, but Jesse's son uh, to that statement referred and said, he crazy. Zenegat was taken to Denver to be put on trial and, uh, and explained what happened the day he killed the sheep herder. He had tuberculosis and he couldn't speak very well. Um, and uh, so he managed to get it out. And he was asked if he killed the man, and he said that he didn't, and that the man was his friend. And ultimately, uh, they could not find him guilty, and they released him. Uh, but his name, uh, but his name uh, made him a celebrity, and he said that rich food made him sick before returning home. Uh, he was eventually succumbed to his disease, and he died of tuberculosis some years later. Years later, uh, Posey begins to stir the pot again. Um, after the 1915 battles and the chaos of 160 Utes uh, that left the reservation were under uh, Posey and Polk's leadership, old man Mankos Jim had a number as well. The young men who grew up between 1915 and 1923, they looked up to Posey mostly, being a chief. 
and he had the best horse and guns, and he was becoming a bigger figure. On January 10th, 1923, three Ute boys were were convicted of killing a sheep and robbing a camp near Grayson. Uh, They were put on trial, and Posey was there next to them. They probably would only spend a few weeks to a couple months in jail for such a crime. Uh, the boys revolted, and one grabbed the reins from from the sheriff's horse, and 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 another grabbed the sheriff's gun, and they pointed at the sheriff, and they misfired twice. By the time they had finally sh- uh, fired, the sheriff was well on his way away from them, which he rearmed himself and quickly returned and found some men in town and deputized and uh, disarmed them. And this ultimately uh, started uh, this this last climactic battle here of the Posey Wars in 1923. And uh, sort of one of the last things was um, Posey and his men were in were on the Comb Ridge, and they had set a huge fire way up on the ridge, and uh, so that's where the posse was going, and it was this huge posse, and so they uh, saw. Uh, Posey riding away on his horse trying to get back to the town that way he could release some of his people that were being held captive there that way he could basically get his own reinforcements Uh, but Posey uh, he was on his horse like leaning and laying on the side of the horse while he was being shot at and he was shooting around the bottom of the neck back at the posse Uh, sort of a pro move there Uh, but of course you know his backside and his legs are kind of in the air while he's doing this and uh, one of the members of the posse uh, said that they uh, saw uh, Posey sort of squirm a little bit and then ride even harder and faster. Uh, So the search for Posey was on for nearly a month. They saw flickers of light in the distance that night, thinking it would maybe be Posey, but they didn't know how many men he had waiting to ambush. Uh, Jesse Posey, um, he was uh, released from town. He took food and blankets, thinking that that they were bringing them to Posey. Jesse figured his father was injured. Uh, Lynn Lyman, he was only 16 years old at the time. Uh, he took the posse by a big car to look for Posey. They claimed that the Posey was dead, and, that they, and then they all went back to Salt Lake City. But Marion Hunt, he was a forest ranger, uh, he found Posey's body later uh, with a bullet wound in his buttocks, and it appeared that he died from that wound. Uh, a new treaty was set for the Utes and Paiutes, allowing them to stay in their regular homes and giving them access to land just as the whites have. And um, so, you know, the Posey Wars were over, uh, and that made this uh, the last indigenous war um, on our on in our country here in 1923. And um, you know, uh, as a historian and as a guide, um, I love my Native American friends and uh, all the information that they teach me as well. And so um, I greatly value all that. And like I said, this was a long time coming here, and I've been studying this and been wanting to um, get into this for (laughs) quite a while. So sort of a uh, deep subject here. You know, and I really wish I had more time. I could keep going and going and going with this, but I'm going to leave you guys off. And I will see you guys in one more month. So join me uh, next month uh, right here on KZMU.